Hi, and welcome to the ICNU Inspiring Churches to New Understanding podcast. My name is Delton DeArmas, and I will be your host. And I am just a curious person, and I'm curious about what pastors think. Uh, pastors and ministry leaders and other people who uh, are involved in growing God's church. And I want to know what inspires them, and I want to know how they get inspired and where they go with the inspiration. And so I will interview guests from time to time and ask them questions that I want to ask them. And I hope that uh, you gain something from that as well. Well, hi, this is Delton again from Inspiring Churches. And my guest today is a pastor by the name of Jeff Johnson. Jeff, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, Delton. I'm so grateful to you, man, for being on this call with me. Um, hope you don't mind being recorded. I think by law I'm supposed to announce that. <laughs> As though you didn't know. So <laughs> yeah, I assumed you would. I assumed you would. But Jeff and I have been friends uh, for a long, long time. In fact, I have a hard time coming up with a name of someone I've been friends with longer. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I want to. I want to ask you what What are your earliest memories, and how did we meet? What do you What do you remember? Ah, you know, the older I get, the less I remember. Um, Amen to that. You know, I just, I remember, I can remember specifically, I'm sort of like you. I think we've known each other forever. Uh, both our dads were at the same place when we were, well, at least for me, when I was born. And uh, my earliest memory of us that always I get a laugh out of and, and it just I, it's just you and me I can remember. I don't know how you remember this. But I can remember uh, we were still in the downtown church, downtown Orlando, and I think it was a Sunday afternoon. I think, you know, the old Southern Baptist churches had the, the training union hour, and uh, they had classes for, we, we had to be six, seven, eight years old. And I just remember, I think we escaped our room and went on a big tour of the church. And I just remember God in his sovereignty had us walking by my dad's office as he came out and uh, he busted us and dragged us in his office. And I'm pretty sure I got worn out. I got a paddling right in front of you. And uh, I was very resentful of the fact that you didn't get one either. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I can, I, I don't know why I, maybe I made that up or dreamed that, but that it's always stuck in my mind uh, is one of the earliest memories uh, when, when we were just young, I mean, just young. That's a great memory. I, I can assure you, if it had been my dad, my dad's office, I would have been the one um, <laughs> with the corporal punishment. Absolutely. There's no question. Uh, and it's funny, my, my recollection of that event is of you telling that story, because I've heard you tell that multiple times. Um, yeah. And so my, my memory of event is, um, of any event, is a little bit um, cryptic. <laughs> That's a good word. Um, I can remember uh, about events, but I have a hard time remembering events uh, right. all my life. That's been a difficulty. Um, but I love hearing stories about events that involved me because I can usually piece together, um, sort of images. So yeah. uh, I do, yeah. I, I kind of, in fact, I don't think I'd ever heard you mention the fact that it was a tour of the church and that sort of <laughs> job something for me. So that, that was yeah. actually helpful. Yeah. Um, well, my, my earliest memory is probably, um, in Royal Ambassadors. Oh yeah, um, doing RAs, and um, now I can't remember much in the way of detail, but I remember getting a pin. Um, yeah, 
yeah. and that being a big deal. And I think we got the pins at the same time, although you're um, a little younger than I am, but uh, yeah. not a lot younger, just a little younger. Yeah, not, not uh, a lot. But I, you know, I always hit the milestones before you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, my dad was on staff um, the year before I was born as well. And so those, uh, I think by the time we were six or seven, my dad was then pastor of the, the first Spanish Baptist church. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and but I was still around for training union, which would have probably been the hour of our A's if I'm remembering yeah, correctly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, but we have obviously because we both grew up uh, attending that church, we have a lot of mutual friends, a lot of mutual memories, yep. a lot of mutual experiences. Not the least of which is um, the fact that we're both PKs, yeah. preachers kids. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, which is actually the topic I wanted to talk to you about today. I think that, you know, I would be, I've never seen any research on this. I have no idea what the, what the statistics hold, but I suspect that there are a fair number of um, PKs who ultimately become pastors. Although the rap is that PKs are a rebellious sort, um, yeah. sort of how that, that go off the deep end. And although I've seen that, I'm sure you've seen that yeah. um, by and large, uh, there are a lot of PKs uh, like you and I who were raised in a very godly home by godly parents whose sole purpose in life was to bring us closer to Jesus. And, yeah. Um, and we see the fruits of that. Um, and for that, I'm so grateful. But I think that there are some unique perspectives um, that maybe we can bring uh, to the audience that says that, hey, we grew up a PK. We've seen the inside. In fact, I... I tell people I've been in church since nine months before I was born. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I think you could relate to. Uh, and your parents were so dear to me um, and to you know everybody that <laughs> that shared our experience. Uh, your, your mom and dad were were special, special. Um, I have a lot of memories tied up outside of yours and I um, time together, but in doing drama and doing music and yeah. different things. And you and your sister. Uh, both have precious, precious places in my memory. So grateful for the Johnson family, for sure. Um, Absolutely. Grateful that you're my friend, but, but I want to talk about being a PK. And so I, I don't know, I don't have a strict agenda, but I kind of want to hear, maybe we'll start with what, um, what was it like for you to go from being a, the, a PK and the pressures? Let's just talk about that. What, what was it like being a PK? Tell me, tell me what are your, your memories of that? Yeah, you know, I look back at that time. I, I honestly, I think during that time, um, growing up in that house and in that ministry, and and dad just being there. My mom worked there as well uh, in her child development center during the week, and you know, so I was always there. I, you know, I'm sort of like you. you know, I haven't seen a lot of research done on this. Um, it's sort of hard to speak comprehensively about it because I think a lot of it depends on uh, things that go on in the home. I think it depends a lot of times in the kind of church you're in uh, and, and that type of thing. Um, I never, I never felt any pressure, you know, because I was a PK. Uh, I always, that was just our life. That's what we did. Um, I, you know, I, I just, I, as, as I look back, you know, I, I, I hear people say things like, oh, I had so much pressure and people were looking at me and 
I was miserable. And I know that happens. I'm not denying that that happens in certain places, but you know, I don't know if I even grew up with a real awareness of that's, you know, that was, that was just my life. You know, I didn't, I don't know if I sat there and went, Oh, I'm a PK. So is, what does this mean to me? Um, that's just who I was, you know, that's who my parents were. Uh, that's what our church was like. Uh, so to me, I, you know, I, I do know, I have seen situations and I think it's important. I think if you are a pastor, I think it is important that you understand at least that your kids are probably uh, underneath a little hotter spotlight than maybe every other kid. Uh, and a lot of times that's not because of the kid, that's because of who you are, you know, as, as a, as a pastor, you know, they want to, they're, they're making judgments on that maybe. So I do know that kids, I have seen kids whose dads are pastors who have uh, really struggled with that. But, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's an overarching answer that, that we could sit here and say, this is why. And, and all I can tell you is from my life and my experience growing up, um, I was extremely blessed. And, and I, I just, I don't think I really walked around with that awareness. You know, church was my home. Uh, and I don't mean that like we lived there. I went to a big public high school. I was very involved there. But my dearest friends, my core of friends, uh, we're always at the church. And even if there was a time in my life when maybe I wasn't as close to the Lord as I was supposed to be, I was close to a lot of people that were there and I wanted to be there. And uh, that was just sort of, you know, that's just sort of me, you know, I mean, that's, I just didn't really. That's a, really, that's a great. Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. I, 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 I was just going to say, that's a great perspective because I, I had not really considered the fact, I mean, I guess I had, but that you, um, been, as a PK, it's like anything else when someone says, well, man, what's it like having blonde hair? Well, I don't know. I've always had blonde hair. <laughs> right. Well, well and you know, it's hard I, for us I, to be aware of the differences because it's always ever known. Yeah. And I think, you know, us growing up in Orlando at such a special time uh, in Orlando, you know, I, I think it would be different. And if you were, you know, the average church in America, Baptist church, I guess, is about 125 people. Um, you know, our, our, my dad wasn't dragging me on the platform every week. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't being paraded around all the time as this is the Wayne and Carol's son, you know, um, yeah, the church was way too big for that. You know, I think if you were probably in a smaller church, the, the spotlight would be much more intense, you know, because all of a sudden your youth group doesn't have three or 400 people in it. It's got, you know, 20 people in it and you probably have a more dominant role. And I, I, that probably played to our advantage, you know, of me just not being aware of it. I mean, there was, in our youth group, I mean, how many kids were there? Three, four, 500 kids? I mean, I, it's hard to stick out, you know. In, in yeah, you, you sort of get you, you, safety in numbers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's, that's an interesting point, though, because my, my life experience, you know, diverged a little bit from yours when I was in elementary school. And my son, I mean, my son, my dad was the, had started the children's pastor and the weekday ministry pastor at First Orlando, and then um, started um, the Spanish mission and was doing a, a service for the Spanish speakers. And then eventually that Spanish mission launched and became a church. Right. And, you know, of course I went with them, uh, like an elementary school student has a choice. My right. siblings who were a good bit older, um, they stayed in youth group and kind of did both, but they were mostly in youth group at First Baptist. Um, and by the time I became um, a teenager, I started going back to First Baptist as a 
as a teenager to attend youth group. But there was a season in there where I was mostly attending uh, Primera, um, where I was going to Sunday school there. And, um, and it was more like what you described. It was 125 people. And it was in my circle, you know, 15 or 20 uh, of my age. And so I did feel a lot more pressure there than I ever felt at First Baptist. Um, yeah. I never noticed any pressure at First Baptist. I, I felt very anonymous there. And even um, fast forward a few years, nobody realized that my dad had ever been on staff. Um, right, staff right. For a few years, nobody, I mean, there's this, you might know the, um, they built a new fellowship hall at First Baptist and they painted this huge mural. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It stretches, I don't know, 50 feet or something. And it's little epics of, um, of time that happened in the history of First Baptist, Orlando, and uh, my parents are on there. Um, right. And so I, I see that and I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, my family, the Diarmas family is part of that history. In fact, my brother's on staff there now. Um, right. There's a whole other story. But <laughs> I can remember very vividly um, a time at, at Primera when my dad was talking about, um, I don't remember the topic, but it was probably on integrity or parenting or something like that. And apparently there's probably a lot more to the story because I was young and don't remember. But I was sitting in the back with one of my buddies, uh, cutting up probably like I'm, you know, like an eight or nine year old would probably do anyway. Um, and all of a sudden I hear him say, hear him say my name from the pulpit and tell me to stand up. <laughs> and, I, and I remember kind of being caught off guard, like, did I just, am I getting in trouble or what happened? And he said, and that's my son. And if you ever see my son misbehaving, if you ever see him rebelling against the teachings that I teach from up here, he said, then I will resign the pulpit. <laughs> no pressure, man. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> he quoted that verse from scripture. I can't remember where it's found, but it says that if, if you can't control your own household, you have no business leaving a church or something. Right. Like that. right. Um, and that's what he was referring to. And he was trying to establish a clear leadership, I guess. But boy, as a, as a young man, I don't remember. I could have been eight. I could have been 13. I really don't know. I just remember thinking, um, yeah, and I can never talk in church again, and I can never, <laughs> because oh, I didn't want my dad to lose his, his job, you know, um, and I may, be, I may be remembering that completely out of context, and it, may, it probably wasn't near that much pressure. Um, right, right. But in my memory, of course, that's how, <laughs> that's how it stuck out to me. Absolutely. Um, but there is a certain, you know, I, I think of the song by DC Talk from, you know, the mid-90s, uh, and it's What If I Stumble? Oh, yeah. What if I fall? What if uh, I lose my step and make fools of us all? And it's really talking about the Christian faith and being, you know, making your, your walk match your talk. And I kind of think that as a PK, we feel some of that pressure. I mean, we feel it as Christians. Um, all Christians probably feel that at some level. I mean, that's why the song resonated with so many people. Yeah. But I think as PKs, we feel that a little bit extra because everybody knows you're the pastor's son and everybody's kind of looking to you as being the pastor's son. Now, I guess in your case, um, Wayne was not the senior pastor. Right. He was on staff and was a pastor and, and, you know, led a lot of people. But maybe it's something different when it's your dad on the stage every week, week in, week out, um, than just being on staff. I don't know. Um, I think there's pressure either way. But I, like I know a youth pastor, for example, whose son, once he got to youth ministry, started experiencing a lot of difficulties um, because they would look, they'd go to him and expect him to have the same 
level of maturity as his dad who was leading them right there's this weird weird dynamic that created i guess that's i guess it's to be expected but it's just uh we're not always aware of it yeah you know i i think somebody gave me and my wife some unsolicited parenting advice when our son was i mean our daughter wasn't even born and they're about two years apart and and when i say unsolicited that doesn't mean i I didn't want it And, and it wasn't she wasn't addressing a problem with us but at the time she 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 told us I'll never forget it she said you know as you parent your kids and discipline your kids make sure that you discipline them for being rebellious and not for being childish and I think sometimes we forget the age of our children you know Uh, so so when you're when they're babies you know, I've seen parents go crazy in a restaurant because their baby, you know, their three-year-old spilt their drink. Well, you know, newsflash, that's what three-year-olds do. I mean, at least they spill drinks. Uh, you know, probably didn't do it on purpose. Uh, but it, I would say the same thing applies when they get up to be teenagers. You know, I mean, uh, you can't expect a teenager to be at the same level of spiritual maturity of of someone who might be 30 years old, especially if that person has gone through theological training and everything else to be a pastor. You know, I mean, there, there's an implied, you know, and I just think sometimes even outsiders, they look at kids from staff members and they automatically, what you just said, they, they think, well, they should be as, as mature as their dad. Well, I mean, what 16 year old is as mature as his dad, you know? I mean, as I think, I think sometimes the false expectations uh, that stress out kids that are PKs don't always come from the family. Uh, sometimes it comes from other people who are making wrong conclusions that they wouldn't make about their own kids, you know, uh, but it's a little, it's rarely from the family. I think like you're saying, it's, it's usually from the outside looking in that they expect for some reason that their, that the pastor's kid is not going to misbehave the same way their kid does. Right. Um, which it's, you know, looking objectively, is kind of silly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. but I think it's just a, this experience. I think pastors deal with this a lot, even beyond child rearing. I think that's why so many pastors are lonely because they, that they expect them to be perfect, that they don't make mistakes, that they're not struggling with sin, that they don't get angry. Same advice that you got, Pam and I did um, about don't punish a child for being a child. Um, Punish them for disobedience, and yeah. even punish is sometimes too strong a word. Give them consequences when they disobey. Right, you correct uh, them. You know, you correct them. Uh, and yeah. if they're being a kid, sometimes boys are are you know rambunctious. It's going to happen. They're going to break things. Right. And Absolutely. Maybe there's a consequence for breaking something, but that's different than punishment. Right. Uh, or even correction. It's just sort of hey, let's you know. And here's how we learn to be more careful: is we have a consequence. Absolutely. Than, than a punishment. And it's such, such great advice. I wish I'd gotten it earlier. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wish you know. I would have remembered it. So. <laughs> Even with adult children, I still, I still make mistakes. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Let's say, wait, we talked about what it was like being a PK. Um, but you, uh, and I guess me, and at some, at some level, um, from being a PK to being a uh, 
uh, you actually had the title of pastor and on staff of the church. And you you made a journey into, I mean, you chose at some point to go into your into your dad's line of work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to follow yeah. his footsteps, if you will. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm curious about that. You know, I, I've known you, as you said, for a long time. And I've, I've even in, when we were young, I've seen wisdom and leadership in you really for as long as I've. vocational ministry that you were going to do this as a as a vocation well um was just clear like that or did it sort of happen um like what what yeah it it was really a a process it was um when i was in high school and it was the uh i remember it like it was yesterday it was the um it was the Sunday or two right before I started my senior year of high school. Um, I really felt I had wrestled with it for a while. I really felt like the Lord was calling me into some kind of full-time Christian service. Now, what's sort of crazy about that is, I mean, I sort of had um, completely different ideas about what that looked like. Um, at that point in my life, you would know this, you know, my, my life was really centered around music. I was a musician. I was playing in the church orchestra. I was playing everywhere I could get it. You know, I mean, that was my life at school. And it was a gift. I mean, it was, I, was, I was talented at that. It came very, very naturally to me. I loved it. But I felt this really weird um, tension in my thinking. I knew what God I felt was calling me to do in terms of just saying, hey, Lord, this is my life. And I want to serve you in an, in a field where, uh, you know, it's considered, you know, that full-time Christian service label. But yet I kept sitting there thinking, as much as I love music, I've never one time envisioned or even thought I would enjoy being a minister of music. You know, I, I, and, and I really wrestled for a couple of years. I went to college. I majored in music. I majored in about the most narrow degree you could possibly get. I got an instrumental performance degree in percussion. So I was a drummer and I just, I wrestled because I thought, you know, I really feel like God wants me in the ministry, but man, I, this is what I'm good at. This is what I love, but man, I cannot see me doing this. And uh, I had different ideas of how that would unfold. And I could give you a lot of stories and a lot of answered prayers, but the bottom line was, um, I graduated in 93. I was getting married that August and I was door knocking. I, I had some opportunities that I just didn't feel the Lord wanted me to take. And then the church where I am uh, was my wife's uh, to be. It was her home church that she grew up in. Neither one of us even considered uh, that this was an option for us. We just thought we were going to be in different places doing different things. And But I had prayed very, very specifically. And God very, very specifically answered my prayer, and they called me and offered me a job. They have a Christian school here to come and teach music in their Christian school, which I had told my dad the last thing I would ever do is be a teacher. And then also I was at the time sort of coordinating their children's choir program at the church. So I sort of had my foot in both both institutions, the school and the church. And got here. We really thought we'd be here for a couple of years, get our feet settled and move on. But in that couple of years, uh, certain things happened at the church that allowed me to come over. At that time, we had a very, very uh, exciting 
a youth choir. We started a youth orchestra. We were singing 125 kids a week and had a 25 piece orchestra. And I got to direct that and lead that in the formative years for up through about year 2000. And it's just interesting. I, I my, my philosophy with the Lord uh, is just sort of, if you open the door, you know, and I'm, and I'm convinced you opened it, I'm going to walk through it. And about 2000, uh, we needed an education director at our church, someone to oversee our small group Bible studies and that type of thing. And I had no background in that whatsoever, but my pastor said, I think you can do it if, you'll, if you're willing to learn. And I, I told him, I said, well, I know nothing about that except when it meets. And uh, so I got my education through doing that. I went back later and got my master's degree and stuff like that. But it, I, I see back now how God used my gifts of music to get me in the door. Uh, but then he changed my heart and, and he's, I still get to play and, and that kind of stuff at times, but uh, I love what I do. Never, you know, if you would have told me 30 years ago that this is what you're doing and where you'd be doing it, I would have thought you were crazy, but, but, you know, it, it wasn't as much as following in my dad's footsteps per se. Um, it's just my dad raised us with the idea that as you grow, and as you consider opportunities that everything's on the table, you know, if you're, if you truly love the Lord, you want to please him, then everything's on the table. So if that means he wants me to be a, a lawyer, okay. You know, if he wants me to be a banker, okay. If he wants me in the ministry, okay. And uh, as the Lord just opened doors, you know, my parents sort of raised me and then the, obviously the, the fruit of all our youth pastors and stuff like that, Jim Henry influence, uh, I just can continuously walk through those doors. And amazingly now, I mean, I, I've been in the same place for 27 years, almost 28 and uh, absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. It's a remarkable story um, for a pastor to be on staff at the same church um, for that length of time, even, and have a career path. I mean, you, you weren't in the same position for 27 years, right? Um, but see, uh, it's pretty remarkable, but I think you said something there that was very interesting that you weren't following in your dad's footsteps, at least not career wise, um, which I think is interesting. I, my dad um, is bivocational and. Uh, Hi, this is Delton, and thanks so much for listening to my, our podcast at ICNU Inspiring Churches. Uh, as I'm sure you've guessed by now, we're a little new at this and we're always learning and growing. Uh, so please forgive our technical difficulties and uh, interruptions, uh, some by design uh, and some not. Uh, but we would, if you don't mind, love for you to please, please, please rate our podcast. Uh, and more importantly, even than rating it is comment. Um, go, go to our website, inspiringchurches.com. Um, or uh, reach out to me directly at delton at inspiringchurches.com and let me know what you think. Uh, we want to um, really be a resource uh, for pastors and church leaders. We want to know what you think and we want to know what inspires you uh, so we can start lining up future guests to this podcast. So thanks again for listening and let's get back to uh, our currently in process interview. Thanks. Pardon the interruption. Um, I don't know uh, what happened there, but 
tell me, Jeff, what was the last thing I was saying? I thought anything I was saying was important, but just so I know where to pick up. Yeah, you were you were talking about how you and your 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 siblings sort of pursued their different careers based on the calling. Okay. Yeah, where my dad was a was a pastor and an attorney, um, which is an interesting combination. And one of my brothers became a pastor and the other became an attorney. So that kind of left me, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Right. Um, and I had felt early on um, a calling to ministry, uh, probably high school, like you, 17 or so, which would have been my, my senior year. And I talked to one of my mentors about it and said, you know, I'm feeling a call to ministry. And, you know, what, what do I, what do I do with that? And he said, man, don't, if you can help it at all, don't go into ministry. <laughs> that you, you can accomplish so much more as a layman. You have so much more freedom and flexibility and you can, you can earn financial resources. You can contribute. You can just do so much more. Once you get into ministry, you're sort of stuck, which I thought was interesting advice um, coming from, you know, someone who was in ministry. Right. Um, but I kind of followed that. And it wasn't until 30 years later that I, I left that vocationally I began to do ministry full time, but you know, I was always what I considered a, uh, maybe a uh, full-time layman or an intentional layman. Right, right. I was in ministry. I was involved in ministry intentionally my whole adult life. Um, but I worked, my, my vocation was um, in business and, and outside of the church. And so you know, I, later I think got those two together. I think what you're getting at, you know, and I think it's so important to remind ourselves of is, you know, I, I obviously I fully believe in, you know, that God calls us to, to be in the ministry, to be pastors, to be missionaries, whatever that may be. You know, I, I've just learned over my life as well, personally, and in watching even my kids that God calls you uh, to what, I mean, God, God put you on this planet for a reason. And if you're not fulfilling that reason, you're going to be frustrated. You know, so obviously you would tell a guy, man, don't go in the ministry unless you're confident God's called you in the ministry. Yeah, in fact, uh, he said, if God wants you in ministry, you'll end up there. But exactly. Want to go there. But, you know, I look at my, I look at my, well, I look at my life when I first came here and I was teaching school. I, there was no question that God opened that door for me to take that job, to put me here. But I mean, I knew within the first two days, I was not called to be a school teacher. You know, and I, and as a result, I've got, I've got a firm belief that if you're a good school teacher, that's as much a calling as me doing anything else. You know, I look at my daughter, who's a nurse, and, and I, you know, I pass out when they draw blood. You know, I definitely wasn't <laughs> called to the medical field, but I look at her and her passion for what she does. Uh, and, and I, and I go, I tell my wife all the time, I said, she was put on the planet to be a nurse, you know, and, uh, you know, we, if you have a Christian worldview and a biblical worldview, there's no separation between the, the secular and the sacred. I mean, what, what God's put us on there for is, is sacred in his eyes. And uh, I think that's important to, to always remember. I don't, can't agree more that the separation of, uh, of sacred and secular, I don't think is a, I mean, I think that's a, um, an enemy construct <laughs> yeah, to try yeah. to try to make it different. Well, we're called to, to grow the kingdom and bring his kingdom on earth and be his image bearers and you can be his image bearer as a fireman or as a plumber or as a teacher or as a, even as a lawyer. Yeah. Um, uh, I said that with a little bit of a jab um, <laughs> at the attorneys I know, but in love, in love. Of course. Um, but the, um, the idea that you, 
like your dad said, that you followed the opportunities that were present, presented before you um, through prayer, through consideration, seeking counsel, I'm sure, uh, to take those next steps and that how God can, can orchestrate our steps uh, to get us ultimately to where we want. I think that it's a big lesson, right? When you can learn that God's will is powerful enough that you're not going to mess it up. <laughs> yeah. I think right. Growing up, I, I always worried like I'm going to miss God's will somehow. Um, yeah, we we overthink things. Uh, I don't know if that's human nature. I don't know if that's just fear, you know? I mean, because God calls us to do things sometimes that are scary. Uh, but, you know, I, I try to remind people all the time that, you know, God is not this cosmic genie uh, or this, you know, that he, he's playing a game with you and he's he's hiding your will. And if you look hard enough, you're going to find it. I mean, he, he he wants to use you. He wants to put you to work. You know, it's 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 really a risk. It's really an issue of me surrendering to what God wants me to do and listening to what he wants me to do uh, and, and then being willing to follow through with that. Uh, so, you know, that's my, you know, if the Lord opens the door and I'm convinced he has, you know, I got one job and that's to be obedient. And that's, uh, yeah, I think we, you're right. We overthink it and we sometimes think obedience is more than it is that we somehow have to figure out like we don't you you don't expect your kids to to do to obey you if you haven't told them what it is you expect them to do right right and i don't think god is is trying to trick us into disobeying right <laughs> in fact well, that would and, go counter to scripture yeah right? yeah and, and the same thing you know that would also have a good parenting aspect you know illustration is that i'm not going to do what god wants me to do if i don't have the utmost confidence that god has my good at his heart you know, uh, right. that, and the same thing, you know, my, my kids are going to sometimes not, well, they're out of the house now, but when they're in the house, they may not understand why I'm asking them to do what I want them to do. But if they know I love them and they know that I have their best interest at heart, then they're more likely to follow through, even if they don't understand it and have questions. And, uh, so, you know, we got to be convinced that, man, nobody loves us like the Lord does. And, and he's, I'm never going to be happier than when I walk through that door and obey him. You know, totally right. In fact, when when I have to ask my kids to do something that's hard or something they don't want to do, I try to remind them that look, man, I've got. And I said, man, I just told on myself <laughs> to my daughter. Um, but I said, I'm not telling you this or making you do this because I'm against you. I'm for you. Your mom and your mom and dad are for you, and we want what's best for you. But we see things that you don't see. Right. We know right. things that you don't know. We have experiences that you haven't had. And you're just going to have to trust that what I'm, what we're doing here is for you. It's for your best interest. It's for your growth and your development and ultimately for your, your joy and happiness. Um, yeah. And, you know, sometimes he believes me and sometimes he doesn't. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, I hope looking back, he'll be able to see um, and he'll be able to see past my mistakes where uh, I didn't do things that were the right thing uh, right. to see all the times when we did. Uh, and I know that in my experience uh, with our Heavenly Father, uh, I have he has yet to let me down. Even the things that I kind of shook my fist a little and, and did like David and kind of cried out, like lamented, if you will. Right. right. Why is this happening? Um, he, he's always proven faithful. And it's always it's always been for my good uh, for the sake of his kingdom so yeah but that might be a good 
maybe a final thing to talk about is, um, you know, you're a little bit beyond me in the sense of raising kids. I still have a kid in the house. Uh, you are an empty nester um, and I've seen your kids, I'm sure, flourish now as adults. And if you, not that you're an expert or I'm an expert, but we do have some life experience. Um, from a perspective of a PK, um, from what you learned from, from Wayne and Carol and what you learned um, from the School of Hard Knocks uh, with your own kids, would you have any advice or any tips uh, to give um, someone in ministry on how to be sensitive to the fact that their kids are the children of someone in ministry? Yeah, absolutely. You know, even just yesterday, I was sending a note to both of my kids where I said, I wish I would have known this 10 years ago when you were still in the house. You know, I feel like, I think, you know, you're right for us to give advice to anybody sort of crazy when you think about it. But I mean, <laughs> you know, there, you do, you do gain wisdom and uh, from having been there and done that. And I think I've been thinking about this this week as we were preparing for this. And I, and I think the advice I would, the, the main advice I would give is, is really almost counterintuitive. Uh, it, it almost sounds like I'm telling you to do one thing and then do the opposite of that thing. So it's two parts. The first part would be, you know, as a dad, as a, as a staff person in a church, full-time Christian worker, you've got to make sure that you're, you are authentic in the home. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is like what we just talked about a minute ago, you know, the, the Christianity is a worldview. It's a, it's a, it's a comprehensive thing. I can't be one guy when I'm at the church or when I'm in front of a large group of people teaching or preaching or whatever. And when I'm at home, you know, I've, one of the things I, I, as I was thinking through this this week that I'm just very, very grateful for, for my parents is that, you know, my dad got up in front of a lot, in front of a lot of people. He was a performer, you know, he was a theater guy. Um, but yet he was the same dude when he came home, you know, he was the same guy and his faith was real. You know, it doesn't, I know he wasn't perfect. I, you know, I, there's no question about that, but it was real. And that makes the faith attractive. You know, the power of that daily witness that he's not just saying this stuff at church. He's saying this stuff at home. Now, the opposite of that, which is the second part of my advice, where my parents did this really well. And I don't think me, I, I'll say me, I, I won't drag my wife into it. I don't think I did as well on this is while you're supposed to, while I want you to be authentic, I think is there's a danger too in being too authentic. Mm. And, 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 and of course somebody will say, well, that's, you're being hypocritical. No, not at all. I think it goes back to our previous conversation where kids at different ages can interpret and understand information differently and more responsibly or responsibly. And I think, you know, my wife worked here in our school for the, uh, she was a teacher here for the 18 years or so that my daughter and son were in the school here. So we came home every day. And if you lived in our house, we're very, very transparent. And, 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 I, and I would thoughtfully say, yeah, too transparent, you know, so you, you're coming home, you're, you're not going to believe what happened today. And this guy said this, and we're dealing with this. And we didn't break confidentiality of people or anything like that. But, but what happens is if you're, you know, if you bring your homework with you every day, the, the ministry is hard work. You are, you're dealing with people who are going through 
you know, if you're doing it right, I mean, you're dealing with people who are going through major issues. Um, you're going to go through hurts. You're going to go through where people leave and leave wrongly or say negative things about you and that type of stuff. And if you bring that home, then what happens is I don't, all children cannot necessarily, because adults can't do this well, separate the Christian faith, the biblical Christian faith from the way people that call themselves Christians sometimes act. Uh, and, and we don't, you don't, you don't judge the whole Christian faith based on a few bad apples. There's bad apples everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you if you come home and you're always bringing home some of those, you know, your home is that safe place where you look at your wife and you go, man, today was awful. Let me tell you why. And, and that's part of that husband wife relationship. But if your kids hear that too much, um, they can develop, well, why would I want to go to the church? I see how they treated my dad, you know, or I saw what he went through. Why would I want to do that? So that's part of being an adult. That's part of the hazards of the job. But you got to make sure your kids can handle that and interpret that properly, you know, or else I think that can, I think that can turn some kids away from the faith because they saw what their parents went through sometimes. So be authentic, be real, but at the same time, you got to be really careful. You know, my, my childhood sounds too good to be true. You know, it's one of those Mayberry things. Like I never saw my parents fight. Uh, now, when I say that, I'm not saying they never fall. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure they fall, but they never fall in front of us, you know. And, and uh, you know, if a parents are fighting it with each other in front of their kids for 18 years, there's a likelihood that kid's going to say, "Well, why would I get married and do that for the next 30 years of my life?" You know. So, you know, it. I think we, you have to be the real deal where your faith is real. They, if you're telling your whole church to start the day with a Bible on your lap, you better be starting your day with a Bible on your lap, you know. Um, but at the same time, you have to understand who's in the house. And man, those little ears hear a lot more than we think they do. Man, Jeff, that is so, so very wise and, and great perspective. In fact, it, <clears throat> as you're telling it, it reminded me um, that one of the things my dad did um, very intentionally when we were growing up is on Sunday when we're going to church, we were going to church. But on Monday to Saturday, when he was going to church, he wasn't going to church. He was going to work. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't say, I'm going to the church. He would say, I'm going to work. And he clearly differentiated with his language between church and work, even though they were the same. Right, right. <laughs> he right. worked at the church. But when he was going to church, he was going to church. But when he was going to church to work, he was going to work. Right. Um, and that little subtlety, I think... Um, impacted us in ways that I didn't realize Um, because when my parents complained in my view as a young person, young child, I didn't see it as complaining about the faith or complaining about church and not even complaining. That's probably the wrong word, but wrestling with grappling with the issues was grappling with the issues at work, which I think is a healthy thing for a kid to see. Um, to know that work isn't easy. It's toil in a lot of ways, but it can be very rewarding. Um, and the, the balance of those two things that we're not, it's not a punishment, but there is, it's not easy. Um, That's right. That's right. But that separating those two um, and being authentic and, you know, you can't teach generosity if you're not generous. That's right. Um, and my right. parents were super generous people and taught us generosity. We, as they say, you, it's more as caught than taught. Yeah. Um, exactly. 
but you got to be sensitive to the the age and the maturity of your own children and what they're capable of hearing. There's things that we've talked about. Our, our oldest and youngest are nine years apart. So were there, there were things we could talk about with our oldest or in, in front of our oldest that we couldn't talk about in front of our youngest until he, you know, until he was older. <laughs> right, right. Um, so there's that development and being just hyper aware. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's having that awareness. Man, I'm so glad you shared that. It's a great perspective. Um, and it's been hopefully interesting for others to hear you know, a couple of PKs chatting about it because neither of us, I don't think, uh, really had a huge rebellious streak. And, you know, I, I, I certainly didn't see one in you. Um, like you said, there may have been times when we weren't as close to the Lord as we should have been, but I always loved being at church and that was like yeah, you, yeah. that was my home. And I had friends at school. I went to a big public high school in Orlando too. And, and I had friends, but my best, I was so excited when I started high school because suddenly I was able to go to school with the people I went to church with. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. middle school, I, had, I don't think there was anybody in my middle school that went to church with us. But when I got to high school, then it was, you know, it became an overlap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was absolutely was impactful. But, but I appreciate you taking the time to to chat about that. Um, uh, that I know that there's probably a list of topics longer than my arm uh, that you and I could could talk at length about. Um, but we had to start somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I'd like to segue um, into something that we do on the show called the Rapid Fire Inspire. It's a you know. Nemus podcast is inspiring churches, and I think there's uh, some little things that we don't think about it being inspirational, but might be. Um, that I wanted to ask you five quick questions, um, and just kind of don't you don't have to belabor the answer, and it doesn't have to be a long answer. Um, yep. But just briefly, what do you do for fun, Jeff? I go to the gym, and uh, I've really enjoyed out of that. Just be, as I we've been empty nesters. Uh, I still like my wife, you know, we like to hang out. So, uh, you know, I mean, we, I love to read. I love just to hang out, uh, with her and, uh, and you know, there's a handful of things I want to do every day. I want to spend my time with the Lord. I want to go to work. I'd like to go to the gym. I like to hang out with my wife and that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bad way to spend your time. I I never, I never can get it all in, but that's what I'd I'd like. Uh, second one is, uh, funniest church memory and I, I guess i could preclude you from sharing um the, the way we met which is a pretty funny memory in and of itself <laughs> uh what's your funniest church memory well you know there's too many um you know one of the one of the funny things around here uh, we have a it's a good-sized church we have nine or ten full-time guys on staff and so you know we get the privilege of doing funerals and all that kind of stuff and uh I went through a phase where I was known as the guy that was going to, if, if I got the funeral, it was going to be a funeral that went off the rails. And, uh, I, one, I can remember, in fact, the funeral director, uh, when he saw me coming, he was like, Oh, here we go. This is going to be a good one. And I can remember, man, I did a funeral uh, in the little chapel next door. And, uh, they, it was just a weird deal. I mean, I was doing it for a church member, uh, but really, uh, the the family the immediate family didn't go to our church and they had never really been in anything like a funeral before they got this guy to come back and do a eulogy we asked him to do about a three to four minute eulogy i think he went 20 minutes and uh added music and and the best part was uh the lady who had passed away had taught him 
how to, how to dance, how to slow dance uh, when he was in high school getting ready to go to prom. So he played a song from that generation. I guess it would have been in the 70s sometime. And he walked down and he took the grieving daughter and they ballroom danced all over the front of that room. Oh, my word. You know, and of course, I'm sitting on the platform thinking, what am I? You know, I got half people looking at me like, what are you allowing this? To, you know, it was, it was just, I just got, I had several funerals in a row that it was just stuff like that. But I'll never forget that as long as I live. Oh, man. Off the rails for sure. Oh, uh, crazy. You expect the, the mother mother son dance at a wedding but um yeah you know, well, i found out, i found out later i think this guy and this girl sort of had something going in high school or something you know it's like 30 oh, years no. later you know and i'm not quite sure he wasn't trying to rekindle something but oh my word you know, that was all sprung <laughs> on us like when we walked in for the funeral so it was it was not like that came out in the planning process oh my goodness although everybody you know everybody looking is thinking that you had something to do with it or oh yeah i and lost it, control and let it happen and i got a reputation around here i'm pretty sarcastic and i i like to have a good time and so you know everybody's obviously had a wonderful time at my expense you know on that so i'm sure <laughs> um thank you for sharing that that was um no i'm gonna have a memory uh so what is your on a more serious note what is your favorite um bible verse or bible biblical passage and, and why Oh man, that's a great question. You know, I think probably the one that I have learned to love the most is, and not because of the maybe, I mean, there's obviously a lot of motivational type that come from it, but I think in the last few years, I've been just uh, amazed at the importance of Genesis chapter one. Um, you know, it starts off very clearly in the beginning, God. Uh, God never addresses the atheist. The only time they address the atheist in the scriptures when he says the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, it's an established fact that he exists. And you go through that creation narrative and you get to the doctrine of the image of God. And, you know, I'm doing a series right now with my young married couples. If you, if you nail down the image of God, you've nailed down about 95% of the social issues that we're dealing with as a church and as a ministry and as a Christian today. Uh, if you get that right. And I'm just amazed that uh, at how thorough and how relevant the word of God is, we, we don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant. Um, and, you know, to think that the oldest part of scripture, you know, the very first page speaks to the headlines of the day just amazes me. And it's, it's you know, the word of God's got everything I need, you know, to, to face what we're facing. But I, I've just been I've studied that passage and spoke on it numerous, numerous times and just incredibly rich to me. Wow. That's good. I don't have to go back and, uh, I mean, I read it every year, but I have to go back and, and with a, with a new lens. Yeah. Um, speaking of reading, uh, what's on your nightstand? What are you reading these days? Oh man. My problem is I read too much at the same time. Um, <laughs> I do so the same. I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm reading, uh, Ravi Zacharias's the logic of God. Uh, which is great. It's, if you do it the way he wants you to do it, 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 it's a very easy read, but it takes you a year to do it if you do it right. So I'm doing a chapter a week and just meditating on that. Mm. Uh, I'm reading Nancy Piercy's latest, which is called Love Thy Body. I think it came out about a year ago. It, it speaks to all of these issues uh, of life, of sexuality. Of all, it's a very current issues type thing. Um, there's a book. Oh man, I can't even remember the name of it. 
now you got me. Anyway, like I said, I'm reading too much. Um, I, I, Jeff Myers from Summit Ministries just released a book called uh, 10 Unanswered Questions or something like that. That, that one's the literal one on my night. Uh, but between books and my, I, that's one thing I'm so thankful. My pastor here put me on the spot way, way, way back in the nineties. And, and ever since then I've been a reader and, and I love to read. And I don't think you can be who you're supposed to be if you're not spending some significant time reading. My, uh, I, my son just quoted, he somebody had given him similar advice that you just heard but get in a, in a catchy way of saying it. He said, not all readers are leaders, but yep, all leaders right. are readers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I thought, well, wow, that's, that's pretty convicting. Um, I'm like you, I always have multiple, multiple books going. I blame it on ADD. But I can't, <laughs> I can't stay focused on one thing long enough. And so I right. bounce around between books, but uh, I knew that you were a reader. So I was, I was anxious to get what was, what you're reading now. Um, in fact, yeah. one of my, one of the books I've recently finished came from your recommendation on one of your Facebook posts, I think. Um, Hillbilly Elegy. Nice. Um, that was nice. a pretty impactful read. Uh, and lastly, and we'll wrap up with this, is give us a, a hidden gem. Um, what's a tool or a tech or a habit or an app or a hack or, or anything um, that has worked for you um, that our listeners might not know about or might not have thought about? Hmm, that's such a great question. Um, you know, the two things I think that, you know, there's obviously there's a long list. So, I mean, my exclusion of anything else is not to say it's not important, but I, I think for the ministry specifically, but I think even as a believer, just living in the world, you better really master the discipline and habit of prayer, uh, meaningful prayer. And then I think you have to prioritize relationships. Uh, everything in our culture with the technology and stuff is wonderful. I just did a lesson on that this past week with my young married couples. Technology is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I don't want to go back to when we didn't have it. At the same time, it's broken. It needs to be redeemed. And if you're not careful, it can break you. I mean, you can, uh, you can be so dependent on your technology that you're ignoring the person that's right in front of you. And we're going to influence people and push people closer to Christ when we spend meaningful time and we give them our, we give the undivided attention to, that's what, when I read the gospels, Jesus many, many times had the multitudes following, but he was the absolute master at giving attention to the person that was right in front of him. Mm. And whether that was Pilate, you know, at the end there, uh, whether it was his mother when he was on the cross, um, you know, or just, you know, the people, the numerous people he healed that we have the accounts of. And, you know, we, we have that understanding. And, you know, I think it comes from prayer, making you sensitive to those things and the agenda of God. But then, man, the work is about people, man. It's about people. And, and one of the dangers, I, I work in a big church. One of the dangers is I can sit in my office and go 40 hours a day and never see a soul and feel like I've done a lot. And I might have, and there's days you have to do that. At the same time, the ministry is about the people. And I know that if I spend too much time in my office, I get this holy sense of frustration and dissatisfaction because God called me to work with people, you know, not mm -hmm. machines and not everything else. So, you know, do whatever you got to do to get in front of the people. 
that's so good. I mean, a, a shepherd without sheep is really a, a man taking a walk, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great reminder. Great reminder. Well, Jeff, man, I appreciate you taking the time. It's always good to catch up with you and uh, hear your voice. That's such a, a deep familiarity. Uh, when I hear your voice, I, um, I feel restored uh, when I talk <laughs> to you. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for being my guest today. And uh, to our guest, I uh, look forward to talking to you again uh, next time. Thanks for listening to ICNU Inspiring Churches Podcast, where we inspire you so you can inspire others. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.